Okay, if you have a Bible, I, I hope you'll find Acts chapter 28 with me as we actually come to the end of our study through the book of Acts on our Sunday morning Bible studies. You know, we've been in this study uh, since the fall, and we have pressed our way through all 28, coming to this today, our these 28 chapters, uh, recording the early um, story of, of, the, of the Christian church. We've, we've, you know, pretty much moved our way through the whole thing now. You know, we took a couple of breaks here and there for Christmas and then Easter and Palm Sunday, and but we always picked up where we left off, and and uh, and uh, we come to the last chapter of this study today. And just so you know, um, in the in the summer, if you're going to be around Auburn, or if you just want to catch it on our podcast, just search Lakeview College Ministry wherever you find and listen to your podcast. Uh, our our summer study will be there, and we're going to study through. Uh, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. That's where we're going, starting Sunday, the, May the 17th. So uh, get ready for that. Be ready, reading it ahead of time. We like to go in the Old Testament a lot of times in the summer. We've, we've thought about the Ten Commandments, the, the Minor Prophets, the book of Daniel. We've done a lot in the Old Testament during the summer, and this summer is going to be the same. We're going to study the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. But like I said, today we're finishing up Acts. Um, the first, the, this, this great historical narrative of the early church, the first 30 years or so after the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, this last chapter we're going to read today ha, has to do with the first 30 years or so, or really with the, uh, the first, about 30 years after that, that uh, in the years 60 to 62 uh, in the life of Paul. And, um, and, and the Lord has, we've seen, so far in this study, the Lord has, has been good to fulfill his promises made at the beginning of the book, that the gospel would move out from Jerusalem to Judea, all the rest of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We see that unfolding across this great book, and, and we see also that it ties up very nicely, hitting that same theme here at the end of the book. Um, and so in this chapter, Paul finally makes it to Rome. He's been trying to get to Rome since he appealed to Caesar. He was being bounced around from court to court. Uh, he would have been arrested in Jerusalem because uh, just for being who he is and preaching the gospel. And they, were, they didn't like him, so they, the Jews arrested him. They were, he was tried before the Jews, tried before the Romans, two or three different Roman courts, un, unjust trials, unjust courts. And so he had appealed to Caesar uh, to... to, to, to stand trial before Caesar himself, and so because he was a Roman citizen, he had the right to do that, and therefore off he went. He's on it, been on his way to, to Rome the last couple of chapters, and today he finally gets there. Um, and this is one of my favorite chapters in Acts. It really is. There's a lot of them, a lot of good chapters, a lot of rich chapters in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse chapter 15. I mean, so many good ones. And it may seem odd that this last chapter, just tying up the loose ends of the book, is one of my favorites, but it is, and it's a re and 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 one of the reasons it's my favorites is because of the theme that it so clearly uh, hits over and over again, and the theme that that always comes to my mind whenever I read this chapter is the kindness of God, the kindness of God. Um, the Lord is so kind to His people, and we see that truth all over the Scriptures, right? We see that truth all over the Scriptures. But we don't always stop to notice it. We're always a lot of times we're talking about so many other things, so many other uh, doctrines, so many other issues, right? All important doctrines, all important issues. 
But sometimes we don't ever stop to just dwell on the kindness of God to us uh, and to his people. And we, when we see a chapter like this that highlights the kindness of God so prominently, we do need to stop and just notice what it says. You know, one of my favorite verses in Scripture is Psalm 145, 17 that says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. He's righteous in all his ways. He's kind in all his works. Two things that are all, in everything he does, those two things are always being testified about him, that he is righteous and that he is kind. And as we follow the Apostle Paul in this, in this last chapter of Acts, I think that's one thing that we see so clearly is God's kindness to him over and over again in so many ways. If you're already familiar with this chapter, you know that it, it breaks up into three very obvious uh, episodes. Verses 1 to 13 highlight um, Paul's interactions with some pagans on the island of Malta, right? And, uh, and, on the, and on, when he's on his way to Rome. Then for two verses in the middle of the chapter, verses 14 and 15, we see Paul interacting with some believers that he met uh, on the way to Rome, and then also some believers in Rome. And beginning in verse 16 to the end of the chapter is the last final episode where the bulk of it, in, it talks about his encounters in Rome with uh, some Jews there in Rome before we have those concluding verses. And like I said, the more you read this chapter, uh, the one thing, at least to me, that jumps off the page in every one of these episodes is the kindness of God. And so as we focus on this last chapter, that's the question I want to try to answer is how do we see the kindness of God in this chapter? How, where and how do we see the kindness of God show up uh, toward Paul and his companions in this ordeal? And I think each of those episodes, those three distinct episodes that I mentioned, highlights the kindness of God in a, in a different way. Specifically, that first episode where he's going to deal with some pagans on the island of Malta in verses 1 to 13, we're going to see the kindness of God uh, through God's providence over Paul. The, God's kindness through his providence over all things. I think that the way that Luke words that part of the chapter highlights that very clearly. The second episode where, where in verses 14 and 15 where he's uh, dealing with some believers that he meets along the way, uh, we see God's kindness through his people, not just through his providence, but, but through his people. And, uh, and then finally, in that third episode, verses 16 to 31, where he deals mainly with the Jews, and, and they, they again hear the gospel and reject the gospel, but some believe, we see God's, God's kindness to Paul through his pro promises, his promises. Because the, uh, Luke, or Paul, quotes uh, the prophet Isaiah very prominently, there in the end of the chapter. So we see God's kindness to Paul and his companions shown here very clearly through his providence, through his people, and through his promises. And uh, as, as, as I try to show how each of these show up in the chapter, I want us to say a word also in the end about how um, we often fail to see, fail to recognize the same kindness of God that he showed to Paul, we fail to see it or recognize it in our own lives. And I think there's an important detail in this chapter that may uh, help us to understand why we do that, and we don't need to miss it. So that being said, let's read the chapter, and, uh, and then we'll dive into it. If you found uh, Acts chapter 28, uh, let's read it together beginning in verse 1. Luke writes, And after we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. The native people 
showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time they saw and they saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place there were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, he healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in, in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, which is on the island of Sicily, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day a south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing wrong or nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty. Notice how this trial of Paul, or his account of his trial, is going to sound very much like the trial of Jesus, right? The Jews delivered him over to the Romans, who found no fault in him, but the Jews didn't like that answer, and they pressed harder and harder. But because the Jews objected, I, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has, report, has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear what, what your views are, for with regard to this sect we know that, it, that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And here he quotes the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have, they have closed, lest they should see with, 
with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the study of his word. Father, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, and necessary word. We ask for your grace as we study it. Would you give us eyes to see the truth that's here? Would you give us minds to understand it? Would you please, Lord, give us hearts to embrace and love the truth and not just to know it? Would you thereby give us wills to obey whatever it leads us to do? Help us to see your kindness in this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, uh, I hope it's abundantly clear to you by now. Uh, the theme that I want us to come away most clearly seeing, the kindness of God. Kindness of God. So let's dive in and think first how in this chapter we see the kindness of God through His providence. God's kindness through His providence. And before we dive in to see it in the text, I just we need to make sure that we're all clear on what we mean by God's providence or that we're all on the same page and using the same definition that we're working with. What is God's providence? You may have heard that word and not know what we're talking about. Um, the, the way that the Christian tradition has uh, often put this into words is best uh, described in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which was also repeated in the Baptist Catechism from many centuries ago, where they said, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Read that again. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. So I tried to make that pretty clear. There's two main ideas when we talk about God's providence. He preserves all that is, and he governs all that is. So the fact that we're doing this right now and I'm, I'm breathing and speaking and you're breathing and listening. Uh, we're, we're doing that because God is preserving us. Our very continued existence is owing to God's providence by way of preservation, preserving us and upholding us by the word of his power, as the scripture says. But also, on the other side of the, the coin, everything that comes into our lives, everything that I encounter in my life, everything that happens to me, is owing also to God's providence by way of his governance, right? He brought it to pass. And remember, Scripture says the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. And we know from experience that it's not always to see um, and find God's kindness immediately in every circumstance that comes our way because some, some circumstances are hard and, and difficult and painful and sad, and it's hard to see God's providence in that. Uh, but we cannot uh, say that his kindness is not there when he says that it is. And it's just, if we, if we knew everything that God knows, if we could see everything that God sees, we would know immediately, he's right, this was kind of God to me. And it's, it's, it's just like William Cooper says in his hymn, God moves in a mysterious way. Even behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. And when we look closely at this last chapter in Acts, and especially the early verses, we see clearly God's kindness in his providence to Paul and his companions. 
Remember that they had, they had just survived a violent shipwreck in chapter 27. And the last words of that chapter, chapter 27, say, And so it was that all were brought safely to land. So even at the end of chapter 27, we see God's hand of, uh, his kind hand of providence that even through all of that, two weeks of violent storms, they were all brought safely to land. That's kind. Uh, uh, but that's where the, this present chapter, this final chapter of Acts begins. And clearly the storm had been so bad that when they, when they went to ground somewhere, they didn't really know where they were. Even the sailors didn't quite know where they were. They had been turned around and around and they just, they knew they were alive and they knew they were on dry land. They just didn't know where. Look again at verse 1 of chapter 28. After we were brought safely through, we then learned, we learned that the island was called Malta, which is an island off the coast of Sicily. Um, but what I want you to notice, here they are on this island of Malta. And what I want you to notice is the, is the language that, Paul, that Luke uses to describe what Paul and his companions encountered there on the island of Malta. Uh, look first at verse 2. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. Um, so clearly, the way that's worded shows that Luke and Paul, they didn't necessarily expect this kind of kindness. He calls it unusual kindness, as if there, there was an expectation that something was going to happen to them, and it ain't kindness that they expected. So the fact that it was kindness, that's quite unusual. The word here translated native people, the native people showed us unusual kindness. The Greek word behind there is barbaroi. It's where we get barbarian. So um, they did, I don't know that everything we, that we imagine when we hear barbarian means that's what they were. They weren't like cave people or anything like that. The reason they were called barbarians originally is because they didn't speak Greek or Roman. I mean, it's Greek or Latin. And uh, so the, the way that the Greco-Romans heard their language, they couldn't understand anything they were saying. And it, to them, it sounded like bar, 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 bar. And so they, they, they coined this name for them, barbaroi, barbarians, uh, as a pejorative. But then it just later, later came to believe people of a certain descent that was not Greco-Roman. Um, and, uh, and they had a reputation, I guess, right? That, that they didn't necessarily treat strangers kindly. Uh, because when they, when they landed on this island and they were shown kindness, Luke says, that's unusual, right? They, they, they showed us unusual kindness. It was the wintertime, as he continues, it was wintertime because they were, it was cold, it was rainy. So the, the, the kindness that they showed initially was building them a fire to keep them warm, right? And, um, and, and they did that instead of arrest them or mistreat them or anything like that. But immediately, uh, we also see another reason why it was that Luke says that this kindness that they were initially shown is, is sort of unusual because he knew what these people were like. Because as he keeps talking and describing the scene, we immediately see the, the pagan superstitions of the people, which can be a particularly volatile thing. Um, they, they clearly changed their whole outlook on certain situations, the native people did, at a whim, right? You never know, you never knew when their mood might change or, or how they might approach you when they see you for the very first time. There was, the example here is when Paul was snake bitten, right? So notice it says in verse 3 that when, he, when Paul was gathering sticks for the fire that they had built, um, as he was near the fire, a viper came out in verse 3, 
because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Uh, so that's, that's pretty traumatic enough, but notice especially Luke's commentary on what happened next, right, in verse 4. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt, listen to this, no doubt this man is a murderer, Paul, right? And they continue by saying, though he has escaped from the sea, justice, with a capital J, has not allowed him to live. No doubt, huh? No doubt he's a murderer, right? Because it's that if you read that verse carefully, it, that verse 4 seems to indicate that just moments earlier, they also had no doubt that Paul was an innocent and highly favored man because he had just escaped from the sea. They, they saw the, the sea as controlled by God, as controlled by gods. And if someone had gone through something like that and had escaped from that, then, then clearly they are a, an, an innocent person. They are a righteous person. They're a, they are a favored person, right? They had just escaped a terrible shipwreck. So uh, that was moments ago. And now all of a sudden, because he's snake bitten, no doubt he's a murderer. <laughs> well, they were constantly trying to read the tea leaves. And, and trying to discern what are the God, trying to read the circumstances, what are the gods trying to tell us? And I say gods, little g, because they say, as I pointed out in verse 4, uh, that justice with a capital J has not allowed him to live. They assumed he was going to die. And justice with a, with a capital J in the Greek, heidike, um, is likely referring to one of their pagan gods. And, 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 they imagine this God as, as a personified thing pursuing Paul. Hedike, you know, justice, the God was pursuing Paul in the, in the ocean, in the shipwreck, right? But Paul escaped, and now he's pursuing Paul onto the land, and now through a, through a snake bite. So you can see their, their reasoning through all this was, was all over the place. He, he survived the shipwreck. He must be innocent. Well, he was just bitten by a viper, so justice must still be pursuing him, and he must be a murderer. <laughs> he must be guilty. They waited, it says, for days for him to just swell up or fall over dead um, as their God, Hedike, justice, fulfilled her desire. But that's, that's the way the pagans were seeing things. But uh, as Luke is writing this, the providence of the one true God was sovereign, and, and in his kindness, Paul didn't die, right? They, they, still reading the tea leaves, concluded when he didn't die, verse 6, not only is it, notice how volatile this is. He's innocent. He must be a murderer. Now, when he didn't die, verse 6 says, he must be a god. They concluded he must be a god. He went from innocent to a murderer to a god, <laughs> you can see the, the way the native people on the island of Malta were particularly volatile people and why when they received kindness at, the, at their hand when they first arrived, it was unusual. They weren't expecting that. It's not the first time, by the way, in the book of Acts that Paul was referred to as a god. Remember back in chapter 14 when they were in Lystra, they were also called gods and Paul took that opportunity to preach the gospel to the people in Lystra. I have no doubt that that's, even though it's not necessarily recorded here, that it's not, not a stretch of the imagination to, to think that Paul also did that here. So God's, God's kind providence was shown to Paul in his 
first encounter on the island of Malta with the natives, native residents. But as the story continues while they're on Malta, they actually meet a man named Publius who is referred to uh, in verse 7 as the chief man of the island. And it says in verse 7 that when they met Publius, the chief man of the island, he also, as it says in verse 7, entertained us hospitably for three days. And during that time, Paul became aware that, that uh, Publius's father was ill with, with fever and dysentery. And it gave Paul an opportunity not only to show kindness back to Publius, but also to bear witness to the one true God. Because it says in verse 8, at the end of verse 8, that Paul uh, visited him and prayed and, um, and putting his hands on him, healed him. Paul visited him and prayed, putting his hands on him, healed him. Um, what did he? What what did that do? What did what did visiting him, praying? What did praying do? Praying did two things, I think. One, Paul by praying demonstrated in an outward way that he 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 knew that he himself was not a god. He prays to a god. He's not a god, right? And no doubt, at least in his prayer, he bore witness to the one true God uh, and to the gospel and and um, and God, the power of the one true living God who healed. Publius's father. Well, word about the healing, unsurprisingly, spread fast. And, and just like with Jesus, there were all of a sudden multitudes showing up for their diseases to be healed. Um, and, and God in his kind providence through Paul healed them. And during his time on Malta, God showed in, incredibly kind providence to, through Paul to Paul, uh, giving him favor with the pagans on the island. And, and giving him favor with the chief man of the island named Publius and showing favor to the people by uh, through Paul to heal their diseases. And so Paul, his companions, and the crew of the ship that he had survived with uh, the shipwreck with, they stayed there on Malta for three months. And when they left, uh, the people gave them whatever they, whatever they needed. It kind of reminds me of the book of Exodus, you know, when... when uh, Thus they plundered the Egyptians. It's not like they were plundering them, uh, the people of Malta, but they, in this case, they freely gave them whatever they needed on their way. They weren't even believers, right? And it literally says in verse 10, they honored us greatly. It literally says in the, in the Greek, they honored us with many honors. In the last few verses of that first section, verses 11 through 13, Luke is still intending to show us not only... Um, the sovereign but the kind providence of God over, over the pagan gods. And he notes that when they decided to leave the island of Malta and head for Rome, they got into a grain cargo ship, and it specifically says in verse 11 that this ship uh, had the twin gods as a figurehead. These are gods that the pagans trusted in for safe travel on a boat through water. But that is contrasted in verse 13 when the Lord uh, caused a south wind to blow and pushed the ship along up the western coast of Italy, right? Even, even within Acts, uh, the Lord is the one who causes the wind to blow, right? Not the twin gods used as a figurehead on the front of the boat, but the one true and living God providentially causes the wind to blow. We saw that in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, and certainly throughout the rest of the Scripture bears testimony to that. 
God is not only show Luke is not only show, showing him as God over the pagan gods, but he is kindly and providentially bringing Paul safely to Rome. He showed him kindness providentially on Malta, and even when they set sail from Malta to make their way toward toward Rome, God is kindly causing the wind to blow to to to, to move their ship along the way. The Lord is kind through His providence with Paul up to this point, but but we see in verses 14 and 15 that he is also kind through his people. Um, just try to put yourself in Paul's position uh, or, in, in, or any of his companions with him. Try to put yourself in their position and feel the weight of verse 14. Um, for, for weeks and months, they had been sustained by the Lord's kind providence they were being sustain, sustained among pagans who worshipped their own gods. But all that, after all that time and the, and the stress of not only feeling isolated in a place like that, like Malta, for months among pagans, but then getting back on a boat uh, to sail again after the last time you were on a boat, you were in a horrible shipwreck. They finally make it to port at a place called Puteoli, uh, which is currently in Metro... Naples, Italy, and and there in verse 14, when they finally land again in, in Italy at Puteoli, verse 14 says, There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. What a, what a comfort to them. Those, those believers and those brothers in Christ must have been um, you, you know, and, and to be able to stay with them for a week and not just a, not just a, a brief little thing, like, you know, also that it had to be weighing on Paul's mind, not only what all they had already been through up to this point, but as he was getting closer and closer to Rome, right? What would he find there? What, 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 what will that be like when I, I know I appealed to Caesar, right? But what, it, what is it going to be like when I get there? The, as Paul was a man, just like you, you know, he was a human being, just like us. He was not uh, a, a demigod. He was not. He was, you know. He said in in Philippians, he he had learned the secret of of how to be content in whatever circumstances, and he did say, "Be anxious for nothing." Uh, but it was not any easier for him, apart from the help of the Holy Spirit, to to uh, keep the word of God than it is for us. And you know, nerves. Uh, no doubt ramped up. The Lord Jesus Christ was nervous in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know the nerves were ramping up for Paul the closer they got to Rome. And, and, and how kind of the Lord halfway there to, to give them comfort through the believers there in Puteoli. But God's kindness here to me gets even better and clearer. Uh, the next, uh, at the next sentence of verse 14 simply says, um, let me find it. Uh, it says, and we were invited to wait for them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And so we came to Rome. They met with the believers there in Puteoli for, for seven days, for a week. And then the next phrase is, and so we came to Rome. Yeah, to say the least. Um, from the details that Luke gives us in, in the rest of this these couple of verses, just, again, Try to imagine it. Um, they, they had just been through a second uh, 
uh, ship experience, right, that made it safely to port in Puteoli. They got out, they met with believers, right, but now um, they're, they're on foot, and they got to make the rest of their way to Rome. And in verse 15, Luke mentions two places specifically. He mentions in verse 15 the Forum of Appius, the Forum of Appius, that's one place, and three taverns, that's the second place. Two places, Forum of Appius and three taverns, two places that history and archaeology tell us were on the road to Rome called the Appian Way, the, the Appian Way or the Via Appius. And so from, from imagine, just follow me here, the route that they're taking, they were uh, south in Malta. They finally started sailing, making their way to Rome again. They sailed to the eastern coast of Sicily and Syracuse then to the mainland of Italy. They got on a boat there and, and sailed up halfway to Rome to Puteoli. They get off the ship in, in Puteoli um, where the, the Via Appia road that run, goes the rest of the way to Rome is, and there they set off on foot 130 miles. 130 miles walking on the road to the rest of to, 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 the, to Rome, the destination. And it at places was a hard road to walk. I mean, 130 miles, 130 miles is a long way to walk no matter how you slice it. So they were no doubt weary, probably made all the wearier again by the increasing tension they had to be feeling the closer and closer they got to Rome. But when they were about, imagine with me, when they were about 40 miles, when they were about 40 miles, when they had, had traveled about 90 miles, on foot, and still about 40 miles still to go, um, they come to the Forum of Appius, about 40 miles south of the city of Rome on the Via Appia. And they come to the Forum of Rome, and there they meet uh, some believers who had come from Rome. They heard that Paul was coming, and they had come from Rome all the way 40 miles to meet them at the Forum of Appius. The Forum of Appius was just a marketplace along the road. And they had met Paul and his companions and the, the, the soldiers transporting him. They met them there at the Forum and, and walked with them the rest of the way, 40 miles to Rome. Well, uh, those, those uh, believers walked with Paul to accompany him and encouraging him, like I said, the rest of the rest of the way to Rome. But then when they had gone about 10 more miles, almost 10 more miles, still south of the city, still a little over 30 miles away from the city, uh, some more believers from the city of Rome had come to greet Paul and his companions at a place called Three Taverns, which was just a collection of, of shops or huts. And they too joined the, the caravan and walked with Paul and his companions and the soldiers all the way to the rest of uh, to, to all the rest of the way to Rome. You have to wonder uh, what the pagan Roman authorities in charge of transferring Paul to Rome, what they thought of this at this point of the growing company uh, walking with Paul to Rome. And just imagine the conversation of Paul um, with those believers in Rome for those last 30, 40 miles. Remember, Paul had already written a letter to them, the book of the letter to the Romans about three years earlier. And just remember some things, the way that things that Paul said about the Romans in that letter. Here's what something he says in, in the first chapter. He, 
He told them then, three years earlier, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's face uh, and uh, faith, both yours and mine. That we, I will read that again because I goofed it. They, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, not face, both yours and mine. But so the, think about that. That's what he had said for three years earlier, and 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 they're they're they they long to see each other. Now they were there together, walking along the road for thirty or forty miles the rest of the way to Romans. Their conversation with each other along the way, no doubt, was a was a witness to those Roman authorities transporting them. There are two phrases, two phrases here that I love in verse 15. And the first is uh, at near the beginning of verse 15, and it was simply this. And the brothers there, the there is Rome, and the brothers there, um, when they heard about us, came. <laughs> Simple words. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came. They came. He, uh, they, they had somehow heard that Paul was coming to Rome for trial. And when they heard it, like I already said, they came to meet him on the way. They, some 30 or 40 miles they came to meet him on the road, only to turn around and walk it back. Um, the, second, the second phrase is at the end of that verse when, where he says at the end of verse 15, uh, on seeing them, Paul thanked God. Wow, think about that. He took courage. He must have needed it. At, at, as the sight of the majestic city of Rome grew larger and larger as he got closer and closer, he needed the courage, and he received it through the, the people of God. He received that courage through their presence. But it says that Paul thanked God for that and took courage. He knew they were, they were God's kindness to him in that moment. Simply their presence with him on the road of his hardship. That is beautiful. You know, uh, don't underestimate the impact of your physical presence with a brother or sister of Christ who's in, in need, especially when you go the lengths to which those Roman Christians went to be with Paul. Their love for him was, was obvious. He immediately saw it as the Lord's kindness to him, providing just what he needed along the way. And he thanked him for it. And he took courage, it says. But finally, he gets, he gets to Rome. And what we see in the last half of the chapter, which we need to hurry and see, is the Lord's kindness shown to him through his promises. So far in the, in the chapter, Paul has incur, encountered the pagans in, at, at, on the island of Malta and in Sicily and in Italy before finally he comes to Rome and here he's going to encounter um, uh, some Jews that are there in the city. Uh, Paul is given considerable freedom while he's under arrest in Rome. He isn't in prison per se. He's under arrest, but he's not in prison per se. He's essentially under house arrest in Rome, and he's in a house that Paul is renting at his own expense. We learn that in verse 30. And he has one soldier keeping watch over him at a time. It says that in verse 16. That would have been a, a rotation of guards, one at a time in rotating shifts, so that other at, at some point Paul got to know all the guards, which is why 
from that house arrest, he wrote the letter to the Philippians in chapter 1 of Philippians, and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So enough of the guards rotated through there that they all heard the gospel. But as soon as he was there, he, he called for the Jews to come. Uh, he'd only been there for three days. He called for the Jews to come, the leaders of the Jews, which they did. And it, he tells them in verses 17 through 20 about his trials back in Jerusalem and Philippi. And he said he, he had no complaint against the Jews, but it was really because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he was in chains. And, and they told him that, well, they hadn't heard anything negative about Paul, but they had heard of Christianity and they had heard nothing good about it. So they wanted to hear Paul talk about it. So they set a date. On this date, we'll come back. We'll let you tell us about your, your, this gospel, right? And in verse 23, more came. A bunch of them came to Paul's house and it says that Paul, they listened to Paul teach from the scriptures and, and show how from the law and the prophets, they point forward to Christ. They listened from morning till evening. Well, what came of that? Verse 24 says that some of them believed, but many of them didn't. Paul had already, like I said, written uh, in his letter to the Romans three years earlier that the, the rejection of Christ and the rejection of the gospel among his own people was one of the greatest sadnesses of his life. It, it grieved him deeply. <clears throat> but notice what Paul says beginning in verse 25. Um, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6 that prophesied that the Jewish people would harden their hearts and reject what God was doing to bring his promises to pass and to bring salvation to his people. But there would be a remnant, a small number of Jews who would believe uh, which Paul was seeing happening. So for Paul, all I'm trying to say here is, especially with this quotation of the prophets, for Paul, the promises of God written down in Scripture um, in the Old Testament, they comforted him as he labored to teach from morning to night. And it says in verse 23 that he was trying to convince them about Jesus and, and, and convince them both from the law and from the prophets. He, and he worked so hard to persuade them and convince them only for most of them to reject it. Why could they just not see what he was seeing in the scriptures? It comforted him to know that God had prophesied this through the prophets. It also comforted him that in God's kindness, God had also promised that many would believe, right? And he also saw that happening. Paul eventually told the Jews who didn't believe that God had turned to the Gentiles and, and with the gospel. And they believed fulfilling uh, the, the Old Testament prophets that the Gentiles would come to faith and fulfilling Jesus' promise in, in Acts chapter 1 that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. Those promises in Scripture were God's kindness to Paul as he labored in the gospel. Let me bring this to a close. And I hope you've seen in this chapter the many evidences of God, God's kindness to Paul through his providences, through his people, through his promises, kindnesses that God seems that, that it seems Paul understood in the, in the moment. He understood it. He recognized it as it was happening at the time. But if we're honest, sometimes we struggle uh, to see the kindnesses of God in our own lives. Maybe we feel like it, it's not there at all. I want to suggest to you, as I, I tell myself the same thing, that God doesn't change. Uh, he hasn't changed from Paul's day to now. 
And the final two verses of this chapter and of the book perhaps give us a clue as to why we sometimes fail to see or experience God's kindness to us in the ways that, that he showed it to Paul. Look at verses 30 and 31 again. Paul lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Well, in addition to that being a beautiful benediction to the book, summarizing again the Lord's uh, kindness to him, uh, and it was so easy. I want to show the way in which uh, it shows why, you know, uh, God's kindness was so easily recognizable when it came because it says in verse 31 that, that the focus of Paul was in proclaiming the kingdom of God, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, we know in Matthew 6, said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as well. Too many times we forfeit God's kindnesses to us or at least fail to see them because our, we, we're too busy building our own kingdoms in this world than working for his, and, and to advance his kingdom uh, in it. And our, sometimes our, our deepest and most abiding joys and satisfactions will come when we orient our lives around Christ and his kingdom. And when we do that, the kindnesses of God in his providence and his people and his promises and in other ways beyond that, the kindnesses of God will precede us as we go and will accompany us all along the way so that even in the hardships, we will see His kindnesses there. Let's pray.